I invite the congregation to stand, please, for prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be in your presence this morning and in the presence of uh, friends and family and loved ones. We are grateful and privileged to um, be part of your, your family, and we thank you, Lord, especially this Christmas season, for your coming. And we look forward to the time where you will again come again to receive us unto yourselves, unto yourself. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, receive the blessing for this uh, service here today. Um, we lift up um, this service and the various aspects of it. We pray that it be a time of blessing and a uh, time of good fellowship and a time of uh, renewal for all of us. We ask, Lord, for your blessing on Thomas and Susanna and the uh, Ramos and the Fisher family, we ask your blessing on um, each of us as we're here together that you would um, visit us today and, and be close to us as we go through the rest of uh, this afternoon. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. On behalf of the Ramos and Fisher family, I want to welcome all of you here to the service today. It certainly is a time of... Uh, celebration in many ways, and we want to uh, think of it as a day of blessing, not only for uh, Thomas and Susanna, but also for all of us to have the privilege to be here and uh, um, invest this time with them. There will be a, um, a, an address here by Launcho here in just a few moments for the especially designated for the online audience. This service is live streamed to El Salvador today. So he will come forward and um, address, uh, especially any of us who can understand Spanish, and especially the online audience in Spanish. I will follow that with a devotional. I'm Dave Stolzris. Immediately following that, there will be two congregational songs led by Jordan Stolzris. Henry Ramos will bring the uh, wedding sermon here today. And following that, David Fisher, who is an uncle of Thomas, will um, perform the ceremony. And I'd like for you to be reminded and uh, ready to participate in the recessional song, which is a congregational song. So you can be prepared for that when that time comes. So with that, we will turn uh, the time to, to uh, launch over. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone present this afternoon on this special occasion. I have to admit that we as a family are facing this day with mixed feelings. But I, I know that this was already planned from God. So I want to accept that. But with God's grace, we want to share our joy with Thomas and Susanna on this special day that the Lord has made for them. 
This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So I hope that everyone here, we can enjoy this day together. Para los que nos están eh, presenciando en El Salvador en esta tarde tan especial, yo quiero darles un cordial saludo y agradecerles por, por su tiempo que están compartiendo en, en ver la boda aquí de, de Tomás y Susana. Es tan especial eh, sentir que ustedes están también presentes en espíritu allá en El Salvador. Gracias a todos. Espero que todos podamos gozarnos aquí en este día tan especial que Dios ha preparado, ha planeado para Tomás y Susana. Este es el día que hizo Jehová. Perdón, de parte de Jehová es esto y es cosa maravillosa a nuestros ojos. Este es el día que hizo Jehová, nos gozaremos y alegraremos en él. Que Dios les bendiga y eh, que todos podamos gozarnos en este día. I will be drawing my meditation today from John chapter 2. And that is the uh, account and the story where Jesus attended a wedding. Most of Most of the time, people attend weddings only when they're invited. And today, we are here to, because we were extended the honor, um, received an invitation to attend a wedding. Well, Jesus also attended a wedding, and John, too, tells us that he was invited. Jesus was called, it says in verse 2. He was invited to the wedding. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure There is perhaps some indication that Jesus was a relative. We can see later in the passage that Mary seems to be, the mother of Jesus seems to be responsible for um, some of the um, servings and that sort of thing. Perhaps she, it was uh, a family wedding that they attended in Cana of Galilee. <clears throat> Jesus was invited. Now, God has designed things so that the means for Christ to come into our lives and into our midst is by invitation. Jesus does not ever force himself on anyone. The first step in Christian faith begins with an invitation. At this particular wedding and in our lives individually, Jesus comes to us by invitation. 
I can't help but notice in the scripture, in the Bible, how God cares about marriage and how he is involved with marriage. For instance, Jesus performed his first miracle here at this wedding, here in John chapter 2. God presided over the first wedding of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before there was anything such as sin, before there were any imperfections in the world. Marriage is God's idea, and he designed it before sin entered into the picture to distort whatever distortions there are in our understanding of marriage. And the Bible, interestingly enough, culminates with a wedding between Jesus, the bridegroom, and the bride, who is all of people worldwide who uh, are part of that glorious bride of Christ. Well, here in verse 3, there was a problem. You see, in the Jewish customs and cultures, the weddings didn't consist of a couple of hours like they do here today, but it was a matter of days, perhaps a whole week. That would take some um, organization, wouldn't it? But at this particular wedding, they started to run out of wine. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, alerts Jesus to that fact that the party was running out of wine. In our lives today, in our marriages, it's sometimes easy to forget that we need to continue to have that fizz and that pizzazz alive in our hearts toward our spouses. I'm sure that's very present here today with Thomas and Susanna. But you know, it takes work and it takes continual effort to keep that fizz in our relationships. Keep the love alive. Love, sadly, in our human minds and in, our, in the state that we live in, in our imperfect world, tends to wane. It tends to deteriorate unless we feed it. And if we do feed it, it tends to grow and thrive and mature and evolve into something bigger and better than we can imagine on a day like a wedding, for example. But there's always problems along the way. We can depend on it. There's problems that we need to face in our lives. And we should not ever assume that Christ is going to magically appear like some Mr. Fix-It. When you wake up one morning and the fizz isn't there, when you feel a little empty, a little disappointed, maybe even a little let down, Thomas or Susanna. You have a choice on that particular day. All of us in our marriages, we have a choice at that particular moment in time. We can get angry, we can blame our spouse for not meeting our needs, and we can imagine all kinds of things in those events. Perhaps in the story here today, there were people who made that choice and started to become upset with the manager of the wedding for not ordering enough wine, for not rationing it out throughout the week in a way that there was enough to last until the final day.
Well, we can do the same thing that Mary did, and we can go to the one who turns ordinary things like water into wine. And Jesus has the ability to do that. But he needs to be asked. He needs to be invited, not only to the party, but he needs to be given the, the liberty to do that. He needs to be made aware of the need. And when we do that, he steps to the plate, which is exactly what happened in the story here in John 2. In verse 5, Mary called for Jesus out of concern for the success of the party. Jesus, on the other hand, acted not on that level of concern, but he acted on a level of concern for his heavenly father. Notice that, especially in verse 5. In Mary's exhortation to the servants, we're reminded, I feel, of a basic truth in the Christian faith. She called the servants, and she said, whatever he says, that's what you need to do. She was speaking of Jesus, of course. She had a very high level of confidence. She had a relationship with Jesus that expressed and exuberated that level of confidence. She said, whatever he says, that's what you need to do. And our first responsibility as Christians, you remember, is to invite Jesus into our lives, to invite him to our situation, to invite him into our homes, to invite him into our marriages, to invite him into whatever it is that we're facing in our lives. And once we've invited Jesus to where we are, only then is when we're actually ready to do what he says we need to do. We invite Jesus into our life, not as a spec spectator, not as a Mr. Fix-It, but as our Lord, as our Lord. Whatever he says, that's what we need to do, our master. We invite Jesus into every aspect of our life because we recognize that without his intervention, we don't have what it takes. And we're reminded that when Jesus gives us that direction, we must follow it. Whatever he tells you to do, that is what you need to do. The good news is that Christ is faithful. Jesus will not fail to bless our obedience and our, servants, our service to him. Sometimes it feels at the moment like Christ is failing in some sort of way. Maybe especially when we don't have a, a um, period of experience or perhaps even just the passing of time enlightens us to, to, um, to the understanding of, of Jesus' intervention in our life, even though we didn't feel it at the time. But the interesting thing, and this story brings it out, that the wine that Jesus created out of water was better than the wine that was prepared at an earlier time. And that tells me that God is faithful. Christ is faithful. He saves the best for last. And that's so true for any Christian of any time. We always have hope. We can always live for something better. Jesus saves the best for last. And that truly is the experience of, of his plan in general. So Thomas and Susanna, Jesus is going to provide for you. Whenever you feel like the wine is running out, whenever the fizz seems to have died down, when times are tough, he's going to be with you. But you need to do what he tells you to do, and his presence is going to be experienced in that time in a way that you can't imagine. 
My prayer is that he would lead you, like the psalmist says, beside still waters, and that he will restore your soul. God bless you, and congratulations. Number 514 on your song sheets. I want you to notice just across the pages, number 83, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. That will be the recessional song then. Number 514, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Blessed Savior, we adore thee.
Good afternoon to all of you here that have gathered to this special occasion. It really is a special occasion. It is a privilege for me to be here. It's hard for me to believe I have come to witness my little cousin's wedding. I'm excited to be here. God bless you both. And I do feel that sadness this afternoon of not having Aunt Pauline here with us. But as I was thinking about this, I knew we were going to be kind of emotional this afternoon. I had to think about this. If Aunt Pauline could share a few words with us, I guarantee you she would say, don't worry about her. And just to enjoy this day together. So that's what we want to do. And I appreciated the thoughts I've been shared already. Of Jesus Christ being our bridegroom. And uh, I would like to continue that thought a little further. Think about the Lord Jesus. Sometimes we come to wedding like this. And I have often th- thought about this. Maybe, would, maybe it would be better to uh, skip the sermon and just officiate the ceremony here and be done. And maybe wait about three, four, five years later and bring the couple back and sit them right there in the center and then preach a sermon to them. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad we don't do it this way. This can be a time for all of us that are married to reflect on our own marriages and to evaluate where we are in our marriage. And of course, this is a a special time for you, Susanna and Thomas, to take these things with you. I know Brother Dave already referred to that there will be hard times coming. And I know you're not ignorant. I know you are grown-up young people already. And you know, you have seen some examples of marriages today that don't go very easy. There will be hard times coming. So this is a special occasion for you to remember, to take, a, to take these things with you and to apply them whenever you need them. Before I get to the message, I would like just to make two observations about marriage. And Brother Dave already mentioned, referred to them. But number one observation I would like to make is that God Almighty designed it. Genesis 1.27 says like this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Created he them. Okay? So this is, we can see that God Almighty designed marriage. Genesis 2.18 And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. This was not man's idea. This was God's almighty. He saw the need for a man, for a help me for a man. And he made that possible. Observation number two I would like to make is that God almighty blessed marriage. Genesis 1.28, the first part says, And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. Phrase I like is that God blessed them. God's blessing is upon marriage. And Genesis 1.31 says, 
And God saw everything that he had made. He saw the sun. He saw the moon. He saw the stars and the planets. The clear blue sky. Well, it's not very clear this morning. But he did notice the beautiful snow. He saw the monkeys swinging from the trees. And the beautiful flowers. And all those things that he had created. The green grass. The giraffes. The big elephants. And he saw the man and the woman. And you know what he said? And behold, it was very good. I like how he says in Spanish, Vio Dios todo lo que había hecho. Y he aquí que era bueno en gran manera. He gives more of a thought. That it, was, it was exceedingly good. Not just very good, but it's exceedingly good. So that is exciting to me to think that God created marriage. God designed it. God engineered marriage. And he blessed it. Wouldn't you think that that would be enough for all marriages to live happily ever after? I think it would be. That's enough. To, to, every marriage should be successful. But I think that's in a perfect world. And we know where we're at. We are in a fallen world. And there are some things that are inherent within us. That are primary causes for failure in today's marriages. Statistics show that around 50% of marriages end up on divorce. And you might be wondering why in the world are you talking about this today? But like I said, it's an opportunity to all of us that are married to evaluate our marriages and see where, they are, where we are. And I would like this afternoon to warn you just about one area that in my opinion is one of the root causes of a lot of problems in marriages. The problem is that we come this way. We are wired this way, we say. It's inherent within us, each one of us. No exceptions. No exceptions. We all have this problem. Sometimes this problem will manifest itself like something harmless and innocent. Sometimes it seems like a big monster. This thing is ugly selfishness. And if you are a single person here, you're not married, don't think that this message is not for you. We can apply this principle in any relationship that you are in. We all have relationships. So please pay attention and listen and apply it wherever you need it. If you would like a title for the message this afternoon, it's Funeral of Self. Funeral of Self. It's kind of a unique title for a sermon, a wedding sermon. Selfishness is having or showing concern only for yourself and not for the needs or feelings of others. Concern excessively or exclusively with oneself. Seeking or concentrating on one's own advantage. Pleasure or well-being without regard for others. The only thing we can think about whenever we are selfish is for me, myself, and I. That's whenever, that's all we can think. I like this definition of self that I found. Self is me, my definition of me, and my desire to be approved. It is what I think is important in life and what it takes to achieve it. It is control of my image, defense of my reputation. And containing those whom I view as my competitors. 
It is my right to exist, be accepted, and be respected in the world. Self desires to stay alive, do well, and finish ahead of everyone else. Self likes to survive the longest, to be proven right, and to be indispensable. Who do you think are we thinking? Whenever we get home and the eggs are a little bit different than what we like him. And we start complaining to the wife about it. When are you going to learn to cook? O cuando las tortillas están quemando. When the tortillas are burning a little bit. I know we don't need many tortillas here in the United States. But we do a lot in Central America. And you don't like him whenever they burn. And the wife sometimes has to do something at the last minute. And uh, the tortillas get burned. And then we go and complain. And start yeah, being ugly to her. Who are we thinking of? Isn't it just we, we thinking about ourselves? Or when hubby has to work late because he has to get a job done that day. And the wife is crying at home and feeling neglected. Guess who she's thinking about? Me, myself, and I. Somebody, someone told me before I was married that when you get married, they said, you will find out how selfish you are. Ah, well, thank you very much for that advice. <laughs> I didn't believe him. I did not believe him. But I'm here to tell you that selfishness shows up in the closest relationships that we have. Selfishness is just plain out destructive. And you know what happens whenever there is selfishness in marriage? It causes divisions. It causes destructive destruction. Matthew 12 verse 25 says, And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stain. Jesus explain that if there's division in our marriages, if there are divisions in our houses, that marriage shall not stand. So what can we do? There has to be some help. Yes, absolutely, there's help. And what I would like to speak this afternoon is that we need to learn from Jesus. Jesus, like Brother Dave already said, should be our master. Not just a Mr. Fix-It, but He needs to be our Master, and we need to learn from Him. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. There's so much unrest in the world, so much unrest in homes. And here it says, if we learn from Jesus, we will find rest unto your souls. Let's learn from Jesus. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to the greatest, what I call the greatest passage of marriage, or marriage passage. Ephesians 5, verse 22. I'm going to read these verses here. This is one of the greatest passages for marriage. So Thomas and Susana, please remember this passage. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. I'm going to read these verses. Wives. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 
Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. We like that. We like those verses. As husbands, we love those verses, right? We hope that our wives are listening. But listen to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that he, she reverence her husband. Wow, this passage is packed here. The first thing I would like to learn from Jesus. Remember, we're learning from Jesus. We want to learn from Jesus because in doing so and obeying Him, we will find rest for our souls and we will find rest in our homes. First thing I would like to notice is verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. That's the first point. Gave Himself for it. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Here even in 1 John he saying, for the brethren. We are in marriage right now. And we say we need to be willing to lay our lives down for our wives. And I always thought, when I read these verses, Ah, oh, sure, yeah, that's not a problem. If it comes down to the point that one of us has to die, well, I go first. I'm willing to lay my, down, my life down for my wife. If there's danger ahead, I go first. Of course, I'm going to be the superhero, right? But God has been revealing this to me. Not that I had a special revelation, but it's all there. It's been there. It's just that I notice it. I finally noticed it. I saw it. Jesus is saying, Henry, you need to give up your ghost. And you got to die for her. You got to crucify yourself for her. And that's what I would like to give you a little bit of a death theology this, this afternoon. A very good death theology that God has been spoken to me about this. We learn it from Jesus. Don't forget, point number one, how he gave himself for it. And we need to do the same thing. We need to be willing to die for ourselves. Point number two, if you notice in verse 25 that Christ gave himself for the church. And the point that I would like to make here this afternoon is that Christ died for the church before he saw results. 
before there was a church. Think about it. Whenever Jesus was hanging on the cross, where was the church? There was no church. There was no Weavertown Mennonite church. Jesus did not even wait for Peter to see maybe Peter is going to be a good preacher. I need to see if Peter can preach before I die for him. I'm going to wait till I get 50 members in my congregation. to Then maybe I die for the church. Jesus did not do that. Every one of his disciples had left him. Jesus died before there was results. And let me tell you here. This is so contrary to the way of the world. This is so contrary to our carnal nature. We may say, well, I'd be willing to die for my wife. Maybe I will. Give up the ghost and just be Mr. Wonderful at the house. But if she makes my breakfast just like I want him, packs my lunch on time with the things that I like, and when I get home, supper is ready. I don't know what time I'm coming, but she needs to have it ready. And it has to be warm and hot. And the tortilla's got to be just right. Then maybe, maybe I'll die for her. That's how we are. We want results before we're willing to give our lives. And the wife is over here, and she's saying, well, maybe I'll start dying to myself. If he starts coming home early, if he takes me on a date every week, maybe whenever he starts washing dishes for me every evening, or when he does the laundry on Saturday, then, yeah, maybe I'll die. Maybe I'll stop being selfish and nagging to him if he does this and that. Jesus did not do that. Jesus went to the cross for the church. Before there was a church. To me that is wonderful. To me that is a principle. That is out of this world. It's so contrary to our carnal nature. Point number three. That I would like to make here. Is Jesus understood. This is a continuation of point number two. Jesus understood how death works and the end results. You know what, what, what Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 24. He says like this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Notice, if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it into it shall keep it unto life eternal. Jesus knew that death produces fruit. This is just a simple concept. I mean, so simple that you cannot even grow a plant of corn or a plant of wheat without that kernel dying in the ground. It's just that simple. It's like Aunt Pauline had to die to enter into glory. For eternal life, we must come through death. It's just that simple. Notice what he says in Hebrews 2.14. 2, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also 
himself likewise took part of the same. Now notice this other phrase. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. But we are so different. Who in the world has heard of a kingdom that he wins or he overcomes his enemies by dying? You never heard that before. Of an earthly kingdom or, or whatever. You don't die to win. But this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus, there in Matthew 16, he said he starts telling his disciples that he's going to have to suffer. All the things he's going to have to suffer and he's going to have to die. And he's going to have to be killed. And he says there that Peter takes him apart and says, Jesus, no, 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 don't let these things happen to you. You're, you're the king. You're the king of the Jews. You cannot let uh, these things happen to you. And Jesus, remember what he told him. Get thee behind me, Satan. Or you can think about when the soldiers come to the garden to arrest Jesus. Do you remember what Peter did? He gets his sword out. We conquer by the sword. And Jesus tells him, put the sword away. We're going to win this battle by dying. That to me is amazing. But we are like Peter. We want to be the boss. We get our sword out. We put our foot down. And say this woman has to submit to me. She has to submit to my rules. If she doesn't cooperate. We're going to let her have it. Because I am the house. The man of the house here. You see what I'm saying? It's inherent within us. To fight for our rights. And we become jerks and expect our wives to be sweet and respect us. Hello? And the wives can do the similar thing. They can be nagging to him. They can say, honey, I told you three, four, four times that you need to be doing this. When are you going to do it? When are you going to take me to mama? When are you going to do this for me? Or maybe she goes and talks bad about him to her friends. And try to get her sister's. On her side. And start criticizing him all to pieces. And then the wife expects. The husband to be Mr. Wonderful. And show you his love. And be romantic with her. Hello. Philippians 2 verse 5 says. Let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. And you can read the rest of the verses. But Jesus was willing to die. On the cross, before there was a church. Please don't forget that point. What happens when we give up the ghost and we decide to die? Before you see results. In John 12, we read that if the kernel dies, bring forth much fruit. There will be fruit. And the devil is trying to blind us. The devil is saying, no, you cannot die to yourself. You're going to have to let her have it. You have to put your foot down. You got to be the boss here. And you cannot die to yourself. But I'm here to tell you that the way of the cross is better. If we die, there will be fruit. In Ephesians 5.27, it says like this, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing. 
but that it should be holy and without blemish. Wow, we all want a bride like that. You know what? Jesus knew that for that to happen, he had to die to himself. And that's what it needs to happen. If we die to ourselves, we will have a glorious bride. Jesus knew in Hebrews 12 verse 2. He said that for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He saw beyond the cross. He saw the results. He saw all the fruit that was going to come. And you might say, well, I don't believe you. I'm telling you, it's true. If we die to ourselves. Something happens in our marriages whenever we are willing to die to ourselves. And we want to, want to live for the other. First Peter, even First Peter 3, it talks about the wives being in subjection to your own husbands. That if any obey not the word. In other words, if a wife will have an unbelieving husband. That they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold you chase conversation coupled with fear. Here in this verse is simply saying, wives, you can only do this showing your love and your respect for, her, for your husband, even if he doesn't deserve it. And the wife decides to die to herself, to herself and gives herself in serving her husband in reverence and in fear, with respect. You know what happens? He's here he says that he will be won. By the conversation, but her chaste conversation, not by preaching to his face. And that's where he, you see, you see the two differences here. Wives today they think they're going to change their husband by preaching to them. And they're going to nag to him and they're going to be just in constant nagging to him. And all, you know what happens? It brings destruction. But if they're willing to die to themselves... Here in 1 Peter 3, verse 1, it says that they will be won by the conversation of the wives. So in conclusion, I'm going to close with this. You have heard that marriage is 50-50 partnership here. You give 50, you take 50. I'm here to tell you, give 100% of yourself. It's not a matter of giving and taking. It's all about giving. That's what Jesus did. He did not reserve anything for the church. He gave himself for the church before there was results. And I'm going to tell you that if we do that, we will have a successful marriage. You will have a successful marriage if you give of yourself. Be willing to die. Let that self be done away with. May the Lord bless you and He will guide you from here. God bless each one. Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or before you made the earth or the worlds, 
from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past. It is but as a watch in the night. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Teach me, Lord, to number my days that I may apply my heart to wisdom. Ermone mich, dass ich sterben muss, so dass ich glück werde. Remind me that I must die so that I can become wise. There are two people here in our midst today who have made it known to us that they would like to be joined together in holy matrimony. Now, these two people are Thomas Fisher and Susanna Ramos. If it's still your desire to be joined together, I invite you to come forward. Uh, do you believe that marriage is an ordinance that is instituted by God, that is confirmed by Jesus Christ, and that you must enter thereupon in the fear of God? I do. I do. Uh, do you confess that you are unmarried and free from all other marriage relationships and engagements whatsoever? I am. Uh, Thomas, will you, in the presence of God and uh, these witnesses that are gathered here on your behalf today, will you take uh, Susanna, uh, this uh, sister that is standing by your side, will you take her to be your uh, wife? Will you love and cherish her, provide and care for her, whether it be in health or in sickness, in prosperity or adversity? Will you exercise patience, kindness, and forbearance toward her, live with her in peace as become with a faithful Christian husband? And will you forsake all others and keep yourself only onto her as long as you both shall live? I will. Uh, Susanna, uh, will you in the presence of God and these witnesses that are gathered here today, will you take Thomas, this brother who is standing by your side, to be your wedded husband? Will you love and cherish him? Will you be his helper and submit yourself unto him, whether it be in health or in sickness, in prosperity or adversity? Will you exercise patience and kindness and forbearance toward him? Will you live with him in peace as becometh a faithful Christian wife? Will you forsake all others and keep yourself only unto him as long as you both shall live? According to the pattern of the intertestament period, I'm going to ask for both of your right hands. Thomas and Susanna, in the name of Jesus Christ and in the presence of his church, I pronounce you husband and wife. You shall now be one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And may the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob 
abundantly bless this union through Jesus Christ our Lord. Go forth as husband and wife, fear God, and keep his commandments. I'm going to ask the congregation to rise for prayer. Heavenly Father and uh, our God, we come into your presence and first we want to worship you. We want to exalt you. We want to honor you. You are a great God. You are holy, you are just, and you are righteous. And you're also a God of love, of compassion, and forgiveness. We worship you as a God who is a God that is all-powerful and a God who is all-wisdom, a God who is the creator and the sustainer of all things visible and invisible. You made the sun, the moon, the stars. You made the fish and you made the birds. You made the beasts of the field and you made man and you made woman. You made husband and you made wife. Thank you for this husband and wife that you have made this day. May you bless them. And I pray for them that they may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, that they may shine as lights in this world holding forth the word of life, that we may rejoice in the day of Christ, that we together have not run in vain nor labored in vain concerning their lives. We want to also give you thanks for suffering for our sin, Jesus. We thank you that you loved us and washed us from our sins in your own blood. We thank you that you died for us and that you died for this couple today, that it was the just for the unjust that you might bring us to God. And we worship you. We bless your name. We wait patiently for the resurrection of the dead, and we look for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall come someday in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace that is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be upon each one that is here today. Amen. You may be seated. You may rise. And now I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Thomas Fisher. <laughs> 